Well, good morning, church family. Welcome home. It's good to see you today. Uh, we are going to have children's church today, as we've been having it. So if you are K through third grade, we need a parent to walk our K through third graders right over here. There's Miss Greet. Hey, Miss Greet. Good to see you. K through third grade can come over here if they want to go to children's church upstairs with Mr. Ben. Uh, and parents, at the end of our service, uh, whenever we're done, uh, the boys and girls will be standing upstairs, and as you come to the bottom of the stairs, they'll send them down to you. So I promise we'll give them back. Um, so that's, that's what's happening. So uh, as our boys and girls head in that direction, have a good time at Children's Church. Parents, thank you so much for your willingness to let your boys and girls participate in that. So it's a great day today. Um, we are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're not going to be there for quite a bit of time. But before we get there, I would like to talk with you as a church family for just a moment before we get into our sermon time today. Um, Just to address, I suppose, the elephant in the room, since we seem to have one of those weekly now with everything going on in our world. We have seen this past week another outbreak of injustices in our nation, and one injustice does not justify another injustice. But church, in the face of everything that's happening in our culture today, and in the face of everyone who's screaming this and that, I need to remind you, as I have been reminded, of two very important things that we need to hold ourselves to. Church, the first is this. Man is not your enemy. We have one enemy. He is the deceiver, the liar. He is Satan. That is our enemy. Man is not our enemy. Because man is created in the image of God. And God put his spirit in them in creating them. And God gave them a soul that he desired enough to ransom his son for. So we should not... Particularly as the church, we cannot look and treat man as our enemy. It doesn't matter if they disagree with you. It doesn't matter if they say things that you are not on board with. It doesn't matter if their opinion is different than yours. They need Jesus. And if the church is unwilling to give them Jesus, who will? Church. Man is not your enemy. So let's stop acting like it. Whether in person, behind closed doors, on social media, including Facebook, stop treating man as our enemy and start treating man as made in the image of God and desired by God as they are. Because that's exactly who I was. And that's exactly who you were and maybe still are. But the love of Christ is far greater than the opinions of man. May we never lose sight of that. The second thing is this. It's a crazy world, isn't it? It's always been a crazy world since there was some fruit eaten in a garden a few years ago. And until the day Jesus comes back, it will continue to be a crazy world. Do you know why? Because of sin. Church, it's easy for us to sit back and be like, eh, this is a I don't even recognize this world. Do you know why? Because this world is not your home. And if we are trying to build the parameters to make this world comfortable and cozy for us, you will fail. And you will spend your days miserable and unsatisfied because you're trying to find your joy and satisfaction and contentment in something other than the Word of God. Church, this world is not our home. That's the reason why you can't connect, relate, or identify with what's going on in this madness. Because if you are in Christ, it is countercultural to who you were created to be. So let's stop trying to make this world our home. And let's remember that this world is our mission field. And let's treat it as such. Why? Because we are the church. So let's be the church. Y'all good with that? Y'all... Y'all ready to have a sermon now? Let's get in the Word. 
Church, it is good to be here today, and, and there are things going on that we must address. Um, I was a little discouraged yesterday in reading some of the crazy things that are being written, and somebody said, well, where is the church in all this? And in two weeks, we're going to begin a series on studying who exactly the church is, and we're going to address those types of questions. So I hope um, that you will continue to join us, whether online or in person, as we continue to move forward together uh, as the church and being faithful to who God has called us to be. You know, uh, not just as a church, but as humanity, we put a lot of value in last things, don't we? Y'all know what I mean by last things? I, I know uh, looking around the room, there's, there's a couple of graduating seniors, class of 21, 2021, here today, and, and, and seniors understand what last things represent. Because, you know, when we talk about last things, it's the, well, this was my last first day of high school. And some of you, you remember what high school, y'all remember about high school? Y'all remember high school? Brooks, you remember high school? You've heard of it? Okay, good, good. Think about to when you were in high school. It was the, it was the last first year. It was the last prom. It was the last home football game. It was the last this, the last that. We, we put a lot of value in the last things. We do it not just in the context of being a senior though. There's, there's other last things we put context in. Um, I'm very thankful today, uh, to get to worship with you because my good friends Clay and Camden Shaw are here for the first time as a married couple. Uh, seated right over here and and last Saturday last Friday excuse me they got married and Clay and Mr. Brenton and I were standing in the house before uh, Clay was to walk out to greet his bride uh, and we talked a little bit about last things of how hey, it's the last time you know you're a single man you're fixing to come into this house we talked about last things last things are are fun to think about we put a lot of weight in last things but you know when we say we put a lot of weight in last things they're not always fun you know Sometimes last things have such value and significance because they're so heavy. And unfortunately, maybe, maybe that's all too familiar to many of us when we think about, well, hey, well, that, was our, that was our last Christmas together. We think about the, the last time we were able to go on vacation or the last time we were all together under the same roof. The last things carry great weight and value to them, do they not? Good or bad, they are heavy. This morning we have a very unique privilege because today we get to participate in the Lord's Supper. Uh, now let me ask you a question. What comes to mind when you think of the Lord's Supper? Is there an image, is there something that comes to mind? Because there is for me. When I was growing up in my grandparents' house, there was a painting it was totally a knockoff, obviously, uh, of Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. Do you all know what I'm talking about? I have an image of it. Do you, mind, you guys mind putting it up there? This is a, is a rendition of Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. How many of you have, have seen this before? Wow, a lot of you. Okay, good. Um, how many of you had like a family member that had a, a copy of this somewhere in their house? Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all have seen it too. I remember looking at this and just being mesmerized by it for some reason. This is, this is called The Last Supper. This is not actually a picture. Uh, when da Vinci painted this, he completed this painting about 522 years ago. Uh, never mind. Uh, about 522 years ago, he completed it. It's actually a mural painted on a wall. Uh, and, and it's called The Last Supper. And when they asked him, hey, well, why did you paint that? Like, why did you do what you did? And he said, you know, I wanted to, to capture the moment during the Lord's Supper when Jesus revealed to his disciples that someone seated amongst them would betray him. And he said, I wanted to capture what it might have looked like at the Last Supper. And he did. If you look at it, you, you see a multiple reaction. If Jesus were to have just said, one of you here will betray me, you see shock. You see the guy over here on, on Jesus' right, our left, and he's holding both his hands up like, whoa, 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 what? Uh, you, you see anger. You see a little bit of defiance. If you look to Jesus' left, you're right. There's a man standing there with his finger like this. Y'all see him? He's right there. Y'all see that guy? That's actually Thomas. And, and he's kind of defiant. Like, listen here, Jesus. Let me, let me tell you how it's going to be. For the record, how many of us have ever done that? I have. Let me, let me tell you that. No, no, I don't... There, there's confusion. Look at the guys on the end over here on this side. There, there's confusion. And look at John. 
John was the youngest disciple at the time. He seated immediately to Jesus' right. He just kind of, he just fainted. There was all kinds of reactions to what is taking place at the Last Supper. And this morning, I want us to kind of take a few minutes to unpack the Last Supper. Now, I'm not going to preach a sermon on Da Vinci's painting. But what I want us to do, because that's what comes to mind when we think of the Lord's Supper, I want us to kind of think about what were the implications? What, what did it mean to the disciples, that Last Supper? What does it mean to us as we remember the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper? When we think about this, this time in the life of Jesus. You know, it, it's easy for us to think about this and to, to realize, you know, maybe we have kind of an advantage when we think about the Lord's Supper. When we think about the Last Supper. We kind of have an advantage, don't we? Because we know what's about to happen. We know kind of the events that unfolded and what takes place in the next few hours, the next 24 hours, the next three days, you know, four days. We, we kind of have an advantage, right? But these disciples... Man, when they walked in the room, they had no idea. Like I said, this was taken. This, uh, this was taken. Like, here's a picture. Uh, by the way, Leonardo da Vinci was not in the room. This is just his imagining of what the scene might have looked like. Um, but when you think about this, this is this was around the time of the feast of the Passover. This has happened multiple times. Jesus and his disciples had been together for three years, so they had done this before. So for the disciples. It wasn't a thing for us to go sit down and have supper with Jesus. It wasn't a thing. When they all walked in the room that night, it wasn't like, man, do you think this is the last time? No, they walked in the room that night. It's like, man, okay, this is exactly what Jesus wanted and how he told us to prepare it. And here's Jesus. Let's enjoy supper together. But for Jesus, man, could you imagine maybe what's, what was he thinking about walking in that room? I don't want to speculate, but I just want to kind of think about what was Jesus possibly going through? Because, again, context matters. When Jesus went into the Lord's Supper, when Jesus went into his last supper, literally, it was the last bit of peace and relaxation he was going to have because upon the completion of the Lord's Supper, they depart from there and they go to the garden where he anguishes in prayer and he's arrested and he's put on a trial that's more of a joke than a trial. And he was beaten, and he was broken, and he was crucified. And all that happens less than 24 hours after they sat down for the Last Supper. See, can you imagine what his mindset was when he walked into that room? Something. John 13, 1, you don't have to turn there, but just listen, just one verse. It says, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And he still is, by the way. He knew what was taking place. But whatever he might have thought, and again, we can't speculate what Jesus was thinking, whatever he might have thought going into that room, he knew he was going to demonstrate his love to his disciples in a way that would make sense only later. Which is why I say we might have an advantage because we know what happens next. But I want us to look at the disciples and what that last supper might have meant to them and see it in the context of Jesus, what he was doing, what the disciples might have responded with. They they had to have thought, you know, hey, it's just a normal supper. But what do you think possibly went through their mind as they as they eat, as they get done eating? And Jesus stands up and he gets a and he gets a towel and he gets a basin and he starts going to each one of them and he starts washing their feet. Hmm. I don't know how often they did that at supper. Or, or when Jesus comes to Peter, you know, Peter the loudmouth. Uh, I guess not all things were unique that night. Uh, and Jesus gets down to wash Peter's feet. And he's like, no, 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 Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. I'll wash your feet. And Jesus said, you know, unless you let me do this, you're not going to have any part in me. He was like, well, then wash all of me. He's like, I only need to wash your feet, Peter. Peter and his loudmouthness just kind of, oh, hey, doing what Peter always does. Outspokenness. Can you imagine what they were thinking when he was sitting calmly at the table and he said, just before that painting uh, imagined, the boys, y'all know one of y'all here is going to betray me before too long. We've never talked about this at supper before. What was going on? At some point in time, these disciples had to start getting the idea that something's different about this supper. 
When Jesus takes bread and he takes wine and he starts talking about how it symbolizes brokenness, how it symbolizes blood, how it symbolizes death. And at some point in time, they're sitting there thinking, this, this, isn't, this, isn't, this is a different supper. Let's, let's get out of the room. Let me ask you this question. Can you imagine what the conversation must have been like 24 hours later on what we call Friday night? Can you imagine sitting around thinking, and can y'all believe last night was our last supper together? Can you believe that's the last time we'll ever see Jesus again? I can't believe he's gone. I can't believe he's dead. I can't believe they crucified him. What happened? We were just, 24 hours ago, we're sitting at the, we're enjoying this supper together, and that's, that's the last one we'll ever have. Imagine that moment. But even in the middle of all of this, Jesus kept doing what he'd been doing the entire time, loving his disciples and showing them how to love others by his example at this last supper. So we see the disciples. What about us? What about us when it comes to the Lord's Supper, when we think of the Last Supper? I I mentioned earlier that maybe we have an advantage because we know what takes place. What if we don't? What if knowing what takes place over the next few days, what if knowing where it all ends up gives us, leaves us a little bit more at a disadvantage? And let me, let me make my case here. Let me make my argument of, of why that might put us as a disadvantage that we kind of know what to expect when we think about the Lord's Supper, when we think about the Last Supper. Because I ask us this question. When was the last time it completely awed you to think the creator of the world would get down on his hands and knees and wash dirty feet of a bunch of disciples that didn't get it. Ever thought about that? The reason he washed their feet is because the feet, particularly in this time in history, were the dirtiest part of your body because it was nothing but dirt roads all the time. Uh, You wore sandals, and a lot of times those got uncomfortable, so you would just go barefoot. So your feet were absolutely disgusting. And do we get the sense of awe when they gather at that last supper and Jesus said, I'm going to wash the dirtiest part of their body? Or do we just kind of skim through that and think about, it came out of the tomb. That last supper. Do we get the awe that comes with that? Do we get the wonder of a Savior that when the loudmouth spoke up, he didn't just like, seriously, Peter... It's, can you just, not tonight. I'm sure none of you as parents have ever had that moment. I'm sure none of you as parents, when your child, when you told your child to say, hey, will you go take care of this? And their universal response is, why? I'm sure you said, oh, let me have a teachable moment with you so you will understand the gravity of what this means and the implication of the lesson I'm trying to teach you on the greater scheme. I know y'all do that, right? Why are you laughing? It makes me have doubt. Because I'm sitting here thinking that if I was Jesus and I'm like, hey, I'm washing feet, I'm washing feet. Oh, Peter, not again. We lose the wonder of Jesus not being like us and saying, Peter, let me tell you why I'm doing this. We lose the wonder of that. We, We lose how difficult it must have been for Jesus to calmly sit at that table and say, there's somebody here that's going to absolutely betray me and turn my life over. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, yeah, that's Jesus. Hey, follower of Christ, who are you called to emulate? It's easy for us to be like, well, you know, Jesus did his thing. He looked at his betrayer in the eye and said, go ahead and do what you're going to do. Do it quickly. Calm peaceful, knowing Jesus the way we know Jesus, forgiving. Let me ask you a question. That person that's really harmed you, that person that's really done wrong to you, that person you're really mad at, do we take a page out of Jesus' book and recognize the wonder of, man, he looked at his betrayer in the eye 
and he had forgiven him already. Do we learn anything from that? When we talk about the awe and the wonder, when Jesus took the elements of the bread and the cup to illustrate his own brokenness and death. Too many times in my prayer life, I find myself talking to God saying, but God, why am I having to go through this? What is it? What's the reason? What's the purpose? Why me? Why me? Again, I'm sure none of you have ever prayed that. But Jesus sitting at the table at that last supper, he didn't say, why me? He took these moments and said, guys, let me help you understand what I'm about to endure. And selfish Justin's over here crying, help me understand why I'm going through this. I'm such a baby. When Jesus took his own death that was coming to help others understand. Maybe we are at a disadvantage because we know how it all plays out. That we miss the awe of that moment. The awe of that Supper. Maybe we're at a disadvantage because today as we gather to participate together, gather to partake in the Lord's Supper, this ordinance that we celebrate four times a year as a church, five actually. Maybe we're at a disadvantage because just like the disciples, many of us are just about of tune with, with what we do today as the disciples were that night. And that does put us at a disadvantage because they had no idea what was happening and yet they still willingly participated. We knew what happened and we come to the Lord's Supper table too many times with a heart far from God. So let me just ask you a few questions. We who call ourselves redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, do we come to an opportunity like the Lord's Supper and we are eager to bring our worship to God? Or is it just another little cup and another little wafer that tastes funny? You see, we we practice the Lord's Supper as a church family so that we remember that we remember it symbolically represents what Jesus sacrificed so that I could be known by God, so that I can call him Father, so that I may be forgiven, so that I may be redeemed. We remember those things because church, without this, we are not the church. Without this, we are nothing but doomed for hell. We gather and we celebrate these things. And yeah, we talk about them a whole lot more than four times a year, but we remember the night that Jesus met with his followers and said, this is what I willingly do for you. Do we bring our worship when it comes to the Lord's Supper or is it literally, well, we did Lord's Supper today at church. When we come to the table, do we come to follow the example of Christ's love for those who don't get it? Jesus said that, I'm going to show you how to do these things so that you can come behind me and do the same thing for others. So when Jesus took his life and shed blood and broken body and poured it out so that others would have a chance to know and be loved by God... And we're called to follow in those same exact footsteps. Do we come to the table? Do we approach the Lord's Supper opportunity as a way to say, God, this is my commitment to you to follow in Jesus' footsteps so that others who don't get it know the love of God? Does it renew our desire for evangelism? Or it's different now. We actually have to peel the top. What do you come to the table with today? Do we come to the table and partake and and choose to participate in the Lord's Supper so that it can become a teachable moment in our lives to our children and to our friends and to our family members? Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you actively discussed the meaning of the Lord's Supper with your family? I don't care how old your family is. When was the last time you just talked about it? Parents of children... When was the last times you sought to help your children desire to know and understand why we do the Lord's Supper at church? Parents of children who have never given their life to Christ, you realize that's an opportunity to give them the truth of the salvation story of Jesus. How many times do we come to the table and say, man, I'm going to take this because you know what? My child who's never given their life to Christ, they can't participate in this. So I'm going to participate and they're going to ask later, mommy, daddy, why didn't I get one of those? Why couldn't I do it? Teachable moment to tell your children about Jesus. Do we approach the table saying, God, as I partake in this, may it be a willing instrument that I can use to go and tell someone else about what this means. Maybe not your children. Maybe you have friends. Maybe you have a circle of of people that you talk to regularly. 
And they asked the question, well, what did y'all talk about at church Sunday? Oh, we just did the Lord's Supper. Just? We just did the Lord's Supper? Let's go back to that night. Let's go back to Friday night, the night after the Last Supper took place. You think the disciples sat around after seeing their Jesus crucified, after running for their lives because they're afraid that they're too going to be crucified and murdered next? Do you think when somebody said, guys, what do y'all think about last night? They said, it was just the last, just another supper. Just the Lord's Supper? What'd y'all do at church? We just did the Lord's Supper. Are you serious? Are you serious? Somebody in your family dies and they said, well, what did y'all do Thursday? We just had a funeral. Really? Have we just watered down and neglected the truth of the power of what we get to partake in and symbolize and represent and celebrate if we're in Jesus to celebrate of what Christ done by saying we just, we just did the Lord's Supper. Have we forgotten? Because we already know how it all plays out. Do we partake in the Lord's Supper today? Do we come to the table today with clear hearts as Jesus had? Because there's no malice, there's no envy, there's no anger, there's no bitterness toward a brother or sister in Christ Jesus. Do we come to the table today to celebrate forgiveness, that God has forgiven us of great things, and by doing so we put into practice how we forgive others, even if it means we go to somebody else and say, hey, I know I have wronged you, will you forgive me? Or we go to somebody and say, hey, I know I have wronged you, will you forgive me? I want to forgive you, but I seek forgiveness from you. Hey, spouses, married people in the room, it sure is easy to bury that grudge and be like, I don't want to deal with it now. Is there a broken fellowship there? Is there somebody that you're at odds with that calls himself a follower of Christ, but yet we're going to bring our big old grudge and set it on the table and grab the cup and the, and the bread? Exactly why Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins, but yet we're not going to. Is that what we bring to the table today? Because I assure you, there's, no enough, there's not enough room on your plate for a grudge and the broken body of Christ and his bloodshed. It's not enough room on your plate. You're going to have to pick one. Which one will you celebrate today? Do we come to the table today even knowing the significance of the Last Supper? When Jesus got on his hands and knees and walked around and went from person to person, you realize he also washed the feet of a guy named Judas Iscariot. And Jesus sat down and he said, give me the ugliest part of you and I will clean it. If Jesus walked to you today and he knelt down before you and he started taking your shoe and sock off because I'm going to wash your feet. You know how much we would be appalled by that? You know, if, 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 even if it's not Jesus, if somebody else walked up to you and said, I'm going to wash your feet, you'd be like, are you weird? It's creepy. Don't touch my feet. But it's creepy because we would be so uncomfortable with it. If it was the Savior of the world said, here, I am to, I'm going to wash your feet, we'd be very uncomfortable with that. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus comes to you and he says, I know the nastiest, dirtiest part of your life, and I'm here to clean it up if you just give it to me. Many of us would turn it over and trust Jesus to, to restore us in that area versus, No. How many of us are the loudmouth how many of us would have no patience with the loudmouth yet Jesus said, I'm going I'm to teach the world by my grace in which I show. Many of us are the benefactors of exactly what we symbolize today, what we gather today, what we pursue in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, yet we neglect it because it's just the Lord's Supper. It's the last supper. Maybe... Maybe the truth of the matter is that today, what we partake in, what we celebrate today, has no significance to you because the truth of the matter is, in your heart of hearts, you know for a fact, you've never given your life to Jesus. Ever. That when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the Last Supper, when we talk about what he's done, when I say the name of Jesus, at best, you put him in the context of a historical figure, at worst, 
He's fiction. And you've come to this exact service so many times in your religious experience, because I'm not going to call it your salvation, regardless of how you think you've lied to yourself. But you come to this service and you take the cup and you take the bread and you've done it so many times you're even desensitized to the conviction that comes with it because you know you have never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe that's why it's just the Lord's Supper service. Do you know what the Last Supper really means? On that night, when Jesus sat down with his disciples, do you know what it means? I mean, we talk about the last Christmas we all had together. We talk about the last time we all sat around this table, the last time we went to this restaurant. We put all this great value in these last things. Do you know the value that was found in the last supper? I wrote a few down. It was the last supper Jesus would share with his disciples. It was the last supper Jesus would eat before his own death. It's the last supper Jesus would partake in pre-resurrection. It was the last supper Jesus would before Jesus would bear the iniquities of the sins of the world. It was the last supper before the Father would turn his back on his only Son. It was the last supper before Jesus became sin for us all. It was the last supper before Satan's final plan to destroy the Savior of the world was launched. It was the last supper before the disciples' minds were completely blown by the events that would happen afterward. It was the last supper before the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. It was the last supper before the world, our fate forever changed. It was the last supper before sin would be crushed. It was the last supper before death would forever be silenced. It was the last Supper before the love of God was victorious over all things ever created or ever will be created in this world. It was the last supper. And by the way, Jesus was the attaining attendant at that last supper. It was the last supper before Jesus willingly would show the world what he was willing to do so that they might know the love of God. It was the last supper before all of these things happened. And I can't help but think that when Jesus walked into that room knowing it was the last supper, I can't help but think about how excited he was. I can't imagine the smile that, that would have been on his face. Justin, what do you mean smile? Do you know what was about to happen? Exactly right, the smile. Because Hebrews 12, 2 says, for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy set before him he walked into that room knowing I'm about to finish this thing up in the face of turmoil, in the face of pain, in the face of suffering, in the face of betrayal, in the face of blasphemy, in the face of all of it, he had a joy to sit down at that table. Somebody asked me to prove it. Somebody asked me to prove it. I'll prove it. It's found in Luke 22. Let's put it on the screen so you can see it. Luke 22, 15 and 16. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired... To eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Y'all hear something sad? I love turkey and dressing. I do. My wife makes the best. It's so good. Sometimes every now and then, if, I, if I, you know, I'm really good all year, I'll get turkey and dressing on Father's Day. Because it's so wonderful. But it's really good on Father's Day. But you know what I always say 
when I eat it on Father's Day? You know what I say. What do I say? Okay, you don't know what I say. You're weird, dude. We're not even going to try to guess. Every time I eat it that it's not Thanksgiving, I always say, man, this is good. But I can't wait to have it at Thanksgiving. Why? It's just always better at Thanksgiving. That's when it's supposed to be. That's where, that's where you get really hyped up for it, you know? Turkey dressing's a Thanksgiving meal. It's so good. I eat it all the time. But man, it's going to be really good at Thanksgiving. Put it on the eternal scale. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. For I tell you, I'm not going to eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. It was a joy when Jesus approached the Last Supper. A joy because what he was about to do, what he was about to be a part of, had ramifications for every living being in this room right now, whether you believe it, acknowledge it or not. And today, church, as I've already told you, we have the divine privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, together today. The symbolism of Jesus' broken body, blood shed, dying on a cross, rising again on an empty tomb, so that we might know and be known and loved by a holy God, the King of Kings. Church, I hope you're ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper today because this is so much bigger than another Lord's Supper. You want to know how I know? What does the Last Supper mean to us? That's written in Scripture too, and that's where I wanted you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at about six verses here. What does the Lord's Supper, what does the Last Supper mean to us? This is what it means. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. This is what the Last Supper means to us. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Stop. I'll wait. Take your time. Let's read that first sentence together, church. So from now on, we regard... And now that we know we read on different paces, let's just all read it. It don't have to be together. Let's all read it out loud. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. You know why? Because of Jesus. Let's talk about what you've been watching on TV and when you see the news. Let's talk about what you're putting on social media. Let's talk about what you've been talking about with your friends. Let's talk about these things that you see people doing that you don't agree with, that you're not on the same page with. Do you recognize that in Christ, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view? You know why? Because praise God, my salvation is not based on a worldly point of view. I've been viewed by a risen, loving Jesus. That's the view of which I am seen and in which I have salvation. So in Christ, I no longer am allowed to regard anyone from a worldly point of view because I'm a new creature. Well, I'm getting ahead. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Why? Because of what Jesus did. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, let's stop right there. I don't want to just read scripture. I don't want to just gloss over it. This next statement is for anybody in this room that professes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, okay? He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you would say to yourself, I know that I'm a follower of Jesus because I have been forgiven of my sins and repented of my sins because of the blood of the Lamb takes the sins away and that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. If you claim that, then this is specifically written to you when he says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ which is exactly what Jesus was trying to help them understand at the Lord's Supper, which is exactly why we're gathering today to celebrate it. 
for exactly this reason, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Do what you must, Judas. Peter, you're going to deny me, but I'm going to wash your feet. Not counting people's sins against them. Justin, I don't even know that because I love you. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Oh, church family, you better hold on tight. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Stop. When was the last time you were an ambassador for Christ? In speech and in action. When was the last time you let God make his appeal for the salvation of man through you, through how you treated people, through what you said to people, through how you showed and shared with them the gospel of Jesus? When was the last time? Answer the question in your mind, when was the last time? Because that might help or it might hinder how well we celebrate what Jesus has done today. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. As though God himself were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. And if you're in the room and you're really not sure if you've ever given your life to Christ... This is for you. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Just come to him. Let him love you the way you were created to be loved. And maybe that's why we have a distorted view. Maybe that's why we've never really given our life to Christ is because we've been trying to compare it to the ways we've experienced love in this world. It's very fallen and we're very broken people. Understand this, the love that comes from God that was demonstrated to us through Christ is a perfect, selfless, unfailing, sacrificial, restoring love. And what would stop you from being reconciled to God? Because of his great love for us. God made him who had no sin. To be sin for us. So that in him. We might become. The righteousness. Of God. Family if there was ever anybody. That ever walked in this room. That is completely disqualified. From being considered the righteousness of God. You're listening to him right now. But I do not refute God's eternal word when it says, in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. This is not just another Lord's Supper. This is a celebration of the fulfillment of God's promise to us. And we do not approach it lightly. We do not approach it Selfishly, We do not approach it with this presupposed idea of what we think this is. We approach it in complete and humble adoration of who God is that he would allow us to partake in remembering what Jesus has done. But not just to remember what he's done, but to remember that those who are in Christ, what we're called to do and be because of it. So church... Let's celebrate the last supper. A lady talked to me at the end of the service. She said, this might be my last supper. Maybe it is. And if so, are you ready to see Jesus face to face? I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. As our men come to prepare for the for the Lord's Supper, I just want to ask you some questions. I just want to ask you to be getting your heart ready to be a part of remembering Jesus. At this at Westmead, we practice open.
communion, which means even if you're not a member of our church, but you profess Jesus as Lord, we invite you to partake with us. But, but the truth of the matter is, it's not about church membership. The truth of the matter is, the condition of our hearts should tell us whether or not we should partake in the Lord's Supper. Because this morning, if you're here and, and you're not sure you've ever given your life to Christ, in just a few minutes when we partake in the Lord's Supper, I, I ask that you just, you just observe. nothing against you it's just an understanding that the Lord's Supper is for those who are in Christ and in in a little bit after we when we complete the Lord's Supper we're gonna have an invitation that you can come down and talk to one of our staff members and say I'm ready to give my life to Christ but in the meantime just observe spend time with the Father maybe maybe today you're you're sitting there and there's unconfessed sin in your life and there's a grudge you're holding on to because you're unwilling to forgive and you're fixing to partake in something that symbolizes forgiveness if that's you please don't be a hypocrite knowing what you know and just just observe today maybe take it as an extra time of just spending time with the father asking god to show you and spotlight some areas in your life that are hindering you from fully coming to his table and celebrating what jesus has done and experience the grace and forgiveness that Jesus has already afforded to us. I just lay in your soul bare before him today. Maybe we just need to come to the table today remembering not just what this symbolizes of what has been accomplished, but symbolizes what we're called to be. Let's just take a few moments and ask God to prepare our hearts for what he has for us in this time of celebration. to a time where we remember and for your church to celebrate your great and victorious love and how it conquered death and sin. God, for your church redeemed us into new life. God, may we truly celebrate what you have done for us both as a response of worship to who you are and as a response of commitment to who we know we're called to be and we choose obedience. God, I lift those up in this room that know that they don't belong to you. God, those in this room who have never given their life to you, Father, I pray, God, that even now, Holy Spirit, come and reveal to them their heart's condition and their need for you. And God, that you would be glorified in how they respond to you in just a few moments. God, for the believer in this room who's gotten so caught up in this world that we've neglected our identity in you, Father, even now in this time, would you restore them? Remind them of whose they are. God, for the broken, for the hurting, may you be their refuge. And may they find their peace and fulfillment in you alone. That God, as we enter into this time of remembering Jesus, would you be glorified from the response of our hearts. Thank you, Father for loving us this much. May we celebrate it together. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. In the back of your pew, there should be a little cup that looks like this. I ask you to go ahead and take it. I know we have several families and people who are seated that you might not have enough. Our deacons are here to make sure that if you need one, could you just raise your hand uh, and they will come to you 
I know we, we have unique seating arrangements because of this thing, and I apologize for that. But just, just raise your hand real high. Keep it held up. Uh, they'll come to you. They're not going to pass the plates. Um, they're just going to let you reach over. Give them just a minute. Just keep your hands held up, please. It's, it's kind of hard to see. They'll make their way to you. We want to make sure everyone who wants to partake and, and celebrate God's uh, redemptive story through Christ with us today that you have an opportunity to do so. So just keep your hands high. We don't want to miss anyone. One day, church, we'll be, we'll be a little different. It'll be easier. But in the meantime, bear with us. Anybody else? Just raise your hand real high if you need one. Anybody else? Wonderful. Uh, church, if, if, if you notice at the top, there's two layers to peel back. The first layer is a very thin layer. Um, if you peel that back, you can, uh, you can get the, the wafer that symbolizes the bread. And on that night when Jesus gathered for the last supper with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. Symbolizing the brokenness of his body as he was willing to do what he was about to do for the glory of God the Father. And he had already told him what his body was about. And in John 6, he says this, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Take and eat. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. And you can peel your tab back there just to, so you can get to it. But he took the cup and he held it up. And just like the bread, he gave thanks for it. And he talked about how the cup symbolized his blood that was going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And, and, and John later talks about this in 1 John chapter 1. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship with one another, then the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Take. After they had done this, Bible says they, they sang a song and they departed. And the events that would lead to Jesus' crucifixion continued. They departed so that they could go and live what Jesus had just shown them in obedience to his commands. Church, that hasn't changed. That when we partake and when we celebrate through the Lord's Supper, the symbolism of what Jesus has done, it's not just to remember, it's for us to also follow through in obedience. So in the next few minutes, we're going to have a time of invitation. And, and down here on this side and down here on this side, we're going to have staff here that if, if you would like to respond in any way, just make your way down the aisle and to the side to one of our staff members. Maybe today is the day. Guys, the opinion of man does not matter. Today is the day that you're ready and willing to give your life to Christ so that you can know He is your Savior. Maybe today is the day that you recognize how far you have tried to move away from God by the way you have never run from His reach. That today you want to just come down and take a staff member by the hand and say, will you pray with me? Will you? Can I just talk to somebody? They're here. Whatever it is, may it not be a last time that we were so close, but we walked away. But let us too, in Christ, those who are in Christ, walk away and celebrate what Jesus has done by our obedience. But if God's calling you to something different, to respond in a way, don't say no. Say yes. And see the victory and the promise and the love that Christ offers for you. God, thank you so much for your word, for your son, for your love. God, even now during this time of invitation, I pray, Father, that you would meet us where we are, remind us and show us of your love, and compel us with your Holy Spirit to follow in obedience. Whatever it is, God, may we seek to desire to serve you. 
in all that you ask. Will you stand as we sing? couple of things for you real quick, all right? We're in the middle of a pandemic, y'all. And all y'all's mouths just got to you touch these things. So, um, oh, and I just spilled it. On your way out, there is a bucket and a chair for your tithes and offerings. There is a trash bag on the floor, trash can, that if you don't mind, if you would take your used cup and put it in the trash can so we don't ask our volunteers to touch a bunch of stuff that all our mouths are on, Please throw these away. If you have a tithe and offering, you can put it in the bucket when you came by. I have good news, more good news. I mean, what's better than Jesus? Uh, I got a text uh, from Julie Sexton, Miss Pam Smith. The doctors told them this morning she is doing great. Um, So we are thankful. Yes. So continue to pray for them and our church family. We love you guys. Have a good afternoon.